no one's coming. Right. Mm. Nobody's mm. coming. There's yeah. nobody coming to the rescue. Like mm. I, I either wake up tomorrow and I'm miserable or I do something about it so I can wake up tomorrow and not be miserable. It's on me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think that victim mentality comes from when people are like, I'm going to, I'm going to cry wolf until somebody comes yeah. and rescues me. Yes. And it's like people that know real trauma know that nobody's coming oh, man, and nobody gives yeah. a shit. <laughs> And welcome to the One Shot Podcast. As you'll notice, I'm bringing us in today. Yeah, yeah, Tybo is out. Because our fearless leader, Ty, who typically does these intros, yeah. is out today. It feels kind of good. Does it feel it, good? It feels You've good. been waiting for this moment. I'm in the captain's chair You today. are, yeah. <laughs> He'll be jealous. That's right, yeah. that's right. And our guest today, let's see if I don't screw this up. Our guest today is Sean Rogers, who is the CEO of FNG Academy. He's a former Green Beret. And he's also the author of potentially one of the wildest books you'll ever read, mm. but it's a true story, all a true story. And it's called Rising Above, a Green Beret story of childhood trauma and ultimate healing. Mm-hmm. And, and I teased it right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, today's story is going to blow everybody's mind and it's going to be highly encouraging because of where Sean is today. Uh, but it's going to be dark at times and we're going to go back and we're going to relive some things that Sean had to go through. Um, but I think you're going to be blessed at the end of this because of the spirit of this person that we're talking to today. Yeah. Sean, how are you, man? Good. Thanks for that intro, man. That was yeah, great. You can, you can tell that you don't run that. All right, stop the podcast. We're done. We're, we're done. done. We're we're done. done. It's all downhill from Check here. Down. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Sean, so we, like I said, we teased it and uh, we want to jump into it, man. And, and, and like I said, y- your childhood is, is one for the record books. And, and so let's start. At the beginning, where you're from, what life was like, start us from the beginning. Yeah, so I'm from uh, Phelan, California, so it's a small desert town uh, outside. Most people, if they know the area at all, they know Hesperia, Victorville. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty remote desert, a lot of, you know, a lot of drug use, um, a lot of meth, you know, going on. It was kind of normal for there to be like fires off in the distance when, you know, meth trailers blow up. Wow. So it was, it was kind of that area it was like it was just so remote and so how we ended up getting there was my grandparents actually they owned a a company in ontario california called pomona valley forklift and um for for whatever reason i don't i never asked my grandpa but he decided he was going to buy some property in feeling and feeling like at the time there was just nobody there so i don't know if he was using it if he maybe wanted for storage or, or what but um so anyway because of that property all my family just seemed to just live off that property. Mm. So it was like, he bought it for whatever reason. I have no idea. And, and turns out like my aunts ended up living and my uncles lived on that property. I lived on, on this property. So it was like, we all just kind of congregated in this like small desert town because that's what he purchased. Um, and so that's where I grew up and it was kind of, I would never go back. I actually went back cause we're doing, a. um, kind of like a mini documentary, uh, for my second book release and nothing's changed. It's kind of crazy. You think like property values and yeah. you know, we do, we do real estate, you know, investing a little bit. And then to see that there's there, it not only has it not improved, it's, it's gotten worse. Mm. Um, it, I've never seen a place like that. I've mm-hmm. never seen 
you know, where you go back and it's just like, it's going down Uh, and it started off bad and it's getting worse. So, um, I guess the point of like, I try to like paint that picture of the remoteness of it was because as a kid, we're really just left to our own devices. I mean, when it's like, so to give you an example, you have like a couple main roads. So there'll be like main street, that's a paved road. And then, you know, Johnson road. And so North and South and East and West running main road off those main roads is how you get to everybody's houses. But those main, the off, you know, the dirt roads from the main roads to your house is like two miles of Mm. washboard roads, like, and they'll destroy your car. So Mm. you like cops don't want to go down there, you know, and unless you live down there, you don't want to go down those roads. Mm -hmm. So we're just off in this like, you know, remote area and nobody wants to come out to where we're at. So we just had free reign to do whatever we wanted. Um, And it was kind of a, it was like living in you know the wild west we just anything went we would yeah. you know at a, at a young age i was doing illegal things that you know i should have never been doing and, and i just thought that was normal because so, so what time what, what what age are you talking here so is, is it just mother and father or is it just you know what's the dyna- what's the family dynamics at this time okay so yeah sorry I'll break this down a little bit more but so my dad left when i was one so at this time I'm living with my mom, uh, my older brother and my younger sister. And my, when I was real young, I think probably around like eight, my mom got into a car accident. Mm. This is the, my recollection of when things kind of went South with my mom was the car accident. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of have vague memories of not ever having money, but like at least she went to work. Um, so there was like a, a short memory I have that she actually went and had a job. And I, that was like a, a highlight in my life was when my mom worked. Um, but then shortly after that, she, we got into a car accident and I was in the car. I woke up in the hospital um, and she had back problems from that. And, and that started an uh, opioid use that seems to, that still hasn't stopped to this day. So that's when, that's when things started to, to get really bad. And so she just started going through like a series of boyfriends and each boyfriend was his own like negative influence. So, um, you know, from, you know, we had him beat us. We've had, um, uh, one alcoholic, uh, I, I watched him beat my brother with a phone book. Uh, I've been, sh- I got shot at the first time I got shot. at was like, I was like eight years old. Um, and my mom was just like driving like a maniac down this dirt road. And I remember sitting in the back seat, just looking out the back window and my brother was next to me and this guy was chasing us and I didn't know what was happening. And so I'm just watching this guy chase us down this desert road. And I was like, well, this is interesting. And then, so we get to the house, he stops chasing us. We get to the house and my brother's like super upset uh, with my mom. And I was like, what's going on? And then he tells me, he's like, look, and he shows me the, the car and the top of the roof was split down the middle. And then there was a hole in the trunk of the car mm. that was right where, it, so the bullet should have went into my chest, but uh, thank God it hit the emblem of the car and deflected down into the trunk. Wow. So I'm not sure what she was doing to that guy that had him, uh, you know, shooting at us. But so I, I can only assume that she ripped him off or something. Um, so from there, it was just a series of, it just never stopped. It was my, my growing up was like a stress factory. Um, and I was constantly stressed out of my mind. So like one instance, I remember coming home and her car was actually inside the house. So, mm. 
And the, the house at that time belonged to this guy who was uh, an alcoholic. So I knew as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is not going to end well. I have no idea what he's going to do in retaliation mm-hmm. for this. And the, the, she just left the car. It was sitting like canned up like this. And then if you go inside the house, which is just a little trailer, but you could see the front bumper protruding into the living room. And I was, yeah, mm. I was like, what are we going to do? You know, like he's going to, when he gets home, I don't know if he's going to murder us. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, and then, so I ended up just like, I couldn't breathe and was basically having panic attacks at a young age. And then he finally got home. And the scariest thing was that he, that night he didn't do anything. He walked into the front door and he just walked past me. Like I wasn't there. Um, he didn't do anything. And that, that was terrifying. And then another day I come home, you know, I don't know how long shortly after that I come home and the front door of the house, I'm sorry. The front door of the house is, uh, covered in bullet holes. So he had just took his shotgun and started, hang on, let me just shut this off. Sorry about that. Uh, no worries. So he just took his shotgun and started pumping it, you know, shots into the front door. And apparently his, his logic behind that was that no one's going to disrespect his house, but him. Mm. And if, you know, if you're going to destroy his house, he's just going to do it himself. And so he just started shooting the front door full of bullet holes. Wow. Um, and then, you know, uh, Man, there's so many stories. I got a, one of the guy that lived down the street. Uh, he's in jail for life now for murder. So he was staying with us. And uh, one day he asked me, he's like, hey, man, I need you. He's I had a motorcycle. This is when I was a little older. And he's like, hey, I need you to take your motorcycle and go to this spot. And there's a bag on the side of the road. I had to dump it because the cops were chasing me. He's like, I need you to go pick up that bag. And I was like, uh, all right. You know, Chris, is, he's telling me to go do this. So I'm going to go do it. So I go pick up the bag. And when I give it to him, I see him pulling like guns and, and he's got, you know, drugs and guns in his bag. And I was like, Oh my God, dude, like I could have went to jail. Like, how do I know yeah. that the cops weren't watching that bag waiting for him to come back and get it? And he sent me to go get it. Yeah. So it, it's just like things like that were a constant. They were always, it was always something. Um, and of course I would run away from home constantly, but the cops would just bring me back. And that was kind of like, the unfortunate round robin of my life was, you know, insane amounts of trauma and like, uh, difficulty. And then I would try to get away cause I had good family members that were willing to take me in. But every time I ran away to their houses, you know, it'd be an hour or two. The cops are at my house and or at their house. Like, Hey, he's got to go back. You know, mm-hmm. is that because your mother, and, your mother's calling to, to find yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. she's, she's very, she's very manipulative. And that's the, she made life hard, not just for me and my brother and my sister, but for everybody around her, like all my family members were haunted by my mom because, uh, and my grandparents as well. Like, uh, so what she would do is at the time, you know, landlines were still a big thing. Like everyone relied on their landlines. So she would call your phone over and over and over and over and over. until so finally you answer because you want your phone to stop ringing. Cause what else, what's your other options? Like you unplug it. Right. And then you miss something important. Right. So she just like harasses you through the cell phone or I mean, through the landline. So then you answer the phone and you're like, okay, well maybe I could talk some sense and I could get her to, to stop. But if she's on a feud, you know, after, uh, you know, whatever she's taken and she's just losing her mind, all of a sudden she'll be at your front door losing her mind. And mm-hmm. that's even worse than over the phone. So you, you're constantly like playing this game of trying wow. to like appease her 
to keep her away. You know, there's, there's been times where she's like, she, she almost ran me over with a car. She tried to hit me with a car. And at uh, that time I called the cops on her. I was older at that time. I was like, I went back to visit. So that time I was like 16, I think. And I went back to visit and I was staying at my grandparents' house and she comes up and just punches it and tries to hit me with the car. Wow. And so I, I called the cops and I was like, Hey, I'm done with this. Like it's time. Like she needs to go to jail. Yeah. And cause she, and she's been in and out of jail a bunch, but, uh, so the cops look at the tire marks and it gets all dirt. It's a desert. So it's like, you can't hide it. Um, so my feet footprints are in the ground and they could see my footprints and then they could see the car peel out, peel out. Cause she's obviously denied it. And so they took her to jail. And then my, my grandma calls me, I was like, finally, you know, and that was like the best thing growing up is like when she would go to jail. Cause like, that was reprieve for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, until she got out. And then my grandma calls me and we all love, you know, my grandma passed away and my grandpa passed away. We all love them. They were amazing people, but she, she was so protective over her kids, you know? So she called me, she said, Hey, you can't press charges against your mom. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, she's, she's tormented everyone, our entire mm-hmm. lives. Like, why are you protecting her? And she's like, it's family. You you can't do that. Mm-hmm. She's like, and on top of that, it's just going to cost us money because you know, she, your mom's not going to pay for anything. So now we're going to have to pay for anything that like any expenses that she gets. All right. I was like, I was like, so fine. I was like, fine. I called the cops and I was like, you know, I'm not going to press charges. And they're like, all right. Okay. So she just keeps getting away with it through like, you know, it yeah, was nuts. Yeah. It, it was just never ended. Yeah. A lot, a lot, lot to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think where my mind goes first is, you know, I think about your role models or, or the people in your life that are supposed to guide you and lead you to, you know, to grow into the person you're supposed to be. So we've got your father who dipped out when you were one years old. Mm-hmm. We got your mother who's clearly has substance abuse issues and, and, you know, those type things going on. You got your grandparents who seem like great people and aunts and uncles, but they're kind of all, you know, protecting your mother. So I guess where my mind goes to first is, did you have any positive influences in your early days mm-hmm. when you were still in the house? Was there anywhere you could look to that gave you hope? Or was it just a constant beat down all the time from, from those that, that were taking care of you? I would say that there, there's a mixture of that. Like I, I, my, instantly, I want to say I look, for, I look to me. You know, mm-hmm. but I can't say that because then I'm disrespecting the people that did try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I owe it to them to, you know, acknowledge that they tried really hard. And uh, so I had uh, this guy, Mike, was in my life. And Mike was, uh, he tried everything. He would always like, every once in a while, he'd like buy me, you know, a backpack for school or some new shoes. Because, um, you know, we never had clothes and we were always wearing hand-me-down stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, what did Mike do? Like Who was Mike in the community? So, so Mike was my mom's second cousin. Okay. I think that's, I think that's his relation. So, but so Mike was my mom's second cousin and he was just a great guy and he would help me out. And he saw that we were, uh, being abused all the time. So he would try to buy me stuff. And like every once in a while, when I would run away, he'd be like, take me out to eat. Like, you want to get some food? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be mm. amazing. <laughs> and so when I was with him, I was like, he would get me McDonald's and stuff and he tried really hard, but he knew, you know, that there was only so much he could do. And, uh, my mom was just going to call the cops and and get in the way of it. So anyone that tried to help and that's, I think people were not trying to protect my mom. They were just afraid of her Mm -hmm. because the minute you tried to help us, 
she just targeted you. Yeah. Jeez. And everyone's trying to avoid her targeting them. I mean, even now to this day, like when that, I hadn't heard from my mom in like 10 years. And when that book came out, all of a sudden I'm a target and they think like, Oh, they can get something from me now. Oh, he's, Mm. he's doing YouTuber and has a company and has a book. So now we can, we can take. Mm. And, uh, so my mom started harassing me, you know, on, on YouTube through comments. And, you know, anytime I did podcasts, she was like doing, um, you know, comments about just nonsense and you could, they're still there. They just don't even make any sense. So I, I still, to this day, like I block her on everything and she still tries the same techniques. The problem that she she has now is that she doesn't realize that times have changed. So, you know, harassment and trolls are part of our community. It's part of being yeah. online. It's, it's yeah. part of our social environment. And so uh, technology is actually caught up. And, you know, luckily for me, it's 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 done so for people like her that try to harass people yeah. and you know, torment them through social media. It's called block this caller. That's one. That's yep. one of the <laughs> things you could do nowadays. You know, you yeah. mentioned your, your, you had an older brother and is a younger sister, correct? Yes. Say, so through all this dysfunction, what, what happened to, at what age did your brother, how, how much older was he? Than Two years son? older. Okay. So when did he must've left? I mean, I'm sure this is, there's so much dysfunction Did they end up leaving or are you always in protection mode of your sister as well? So it was kind of a mix. So like my brother was always trying to protect uh, me and my sister, but then my brother, like as soon as he could, he was always, he would like live at his friend's house. Mm -hmm. So he almost never lived at home. Like, uh, and my mom just kind of accepted that, that he was going to, you know, stay at his friend's house. And then if she wanted to, she would call the cops on him. They would bring him back, but uh, he would always be at friends. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go every day and I'll come back at night, but I'm leaving this every single day. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, he worked it to where he mostly got out and then, but when he was home, he's in protection mode of both of us. Um, it wasn't until he was older that he was able to do that. Probably like, you know, 15, mm-hmm. but up until that point, yeah, he's, I mean, we're both in protection mode of my sister and he's in protection mode of both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did a lot of covering and that's when that the phone book guy, I think, was it him? He might've been the one that hit, uh, the guy with the phone book. So the, the guy was chasing me and he was trying to come after me and he was going to beat me up. And so I'm, I think my brother might have hit him with the phone book, but anyway, then that guy started beating on my brother. So, um, and then I took off, but it was always, yeah, there's always some kind of protection. Like one time they were flipping tables and, and going after each other and breaking everything in the house. And I thought, I was afraid that they're going to turn on my sister. I was afraid they're going to turn on me, mm-hmm. which made me even more afraid that they're going to turn on my sister. So I just ran, you know, throughout the, in the middle of the night, I just ran barefoot to my aunt's house through the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then got to her house, started pounding on the door. And as soon as she answered, I was like, you got to go get Kelsey. She's, she, you got to go get her. You got to go get her. Uh, she needs help. And, you know, they called the cops and had them go, but there was always some kind of, Goodness. you know, yeah. sibling protection going on. What about, what about like school or sport? Did you have anywhere to escape at all, you know, and, and, no. and live somewhat normal? No, 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 I was, I was in it every day in that there was no escape for it. So school was an issue because when I went to school, I didn't know how to behave. So like for me, and I, I still do this to this day, it's kind of like developed my character is like, just like, 
telling jokes, you know, in mm. the military I did it too. It was like, and you know, when things get tough and, and overwhelming, you just joke your way through it. I did in the police department too. Um, but as a kid, I would do that in school, but I didn't know. So I would get in trouble constantly. Like I didn't know how to scale it. Yeah. So if there's any opportunity for a joke, like if the teacher, if she, if she lined me up for a joke or he lined me up for a joke, I'm taking it. Right. <laughs> and so, because th- that few minutes or that few seconds of people laughing with me was yeah. they're not laughing at me. Yeah. So I was like, this is, this feels good. They're laughing with me. Cause I told a joke. They're not laughing at me anymore. Cause I'm poor. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I lie about everything, you know, like, Oh yeah, me and my family did this trip. And, uh, and so I was just, you know, I'm just like in gross clothes all the time and stuff. So I, I found that as my escape was to get people to laugh. Mm-hmm. The problem is that got me kicked out of school nonstop. So I was an in-school suspension for most of my, my time. So your one outlet gets you in trouble. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and so, you know, the, the principal will bring me in and I remember I'll never forget sitting in the principal's office and he was like, he's like, you're going to stay in detention or I'm going to suspend you. And I was like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to get suspended in school suspension. At least I got away, yeah. but if they suspend me, I'm going home oh, and I'm just yeah. staying at home. I don't right. want to stay home. So he's like, unless you show up for detention, cause I never, I never had a ride. So I, uh, I couldn't show up for detention. So he's like, unless you show up for detention, I'm going to suspend you. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll just have to walk home. And so I'm like, probably like 12, or 13, mm-hmm. I, you know, pretty young. And so I'm like walking home. It's like 15 miles to my house in the desert. And I was just like, I am just going to walk home after yeah. I, I, in my, in my heart, in my mind, I was like, someone will see me, and pick me <laughs> right, <up."> right. <laughs> <laughs> at the door, at the Goodness front door. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and so I just uh, held out hope for that. Yeah. So home life is awful. I mean, th- mm-hmm. there's just no other way to describe that. What, what you're telling us here school you're constantly in trouble there's there's Mm -hmm. no you know the the one thing that you feel like you're okay at you're getting in trouble for so really there's nowhere to turn unfortunately for you so you keep running away but then keep bringing back so at what point did you finally because you were young at what point Mm -hmm. did you finally get away for quote-unquote good did did you finally get out of there yeah so that was kind of like an escape that was like an escape scenario so obviously i knew i was bound in like to me 18 like the thought of waiting till i was 18 like that was i might not make it you know i might get killed by one of her boyfriends i might do something in retaliation to one of these these guys that put me in jail i was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it that long so i have to get out sooner um so then at some point i was like because my mom used to threaten us growing up she used to threaten me and my brother all the time like oh your dad's a terrible human being like call she she used to say if you guys don't stop i'm gonna call him and so we would cry and like freak out, like, no, don't call him. Don't call him. Don't call mm. him. Because she had built him into this monster that was going to be so awful. And you'd never met him at this point? No. Okay. And then so finally I was like, you know what? Call him. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, call him. I was like, call him. I get, I think anything's got to be better than this. Mm. I was like, please call him. And so she calls him. Uh, and then so he was like, okay, I'm going to come out and I'll meet him. And, you know, so he flew out and met me and my brother which is a weird thing to say, mm. you know, meet your kid. <laughs> yeah. Before, you know, was, we were like four, I was like 14. So my brother's probably 16 or my brother's 16. Um, and we're meeting our dad. And I was like, yeah, this guy seems way more normal than what we're dealing with. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to your place. And I was like, can I come live with you? And he was like, yeah. 
so then the whole plan of escape kind of started because I was like, well, I can't just go because then the cops will just bring me back. So mm-hmm. what do I have to do? So I called him and I was like, what do I do? And he's like, well, call the police here, ask him what you need to do so they don't take you back. I was like, okay. So I called the Fredonia police department. I was like, Hey, I'm trying to like get away from my mom and go live with my dad. What do you guys need to not bring me back? Cause she's going to call you and harass you. And he was like, I need you to sign. She needs to sign a letter giving away custody to mm. your dad. And this is what it needs to say. And so I re- wrote down exactly what he said it needs to say. Um, and then the initially I was like, my plan was I'm going to cut out the signature block of like a school form and then have her sign the school form. And then I'll be like, Oh, and then she actually signed. Cause I knew there's like, there's like no way she's going to sign this form. So then like leading up to getting this form signed, I wanted to get everything in place because I knew like, uh, once she realized I was actually going, she would change her mind. So I started packing up my stuff slowly. So I left my room like dirty the way it usually would be. And then I started packing up all the stuff I really wanted and hiding it in my closet. Um, and then I called my cousin was like, Hey, as soon as everything's ready to go, I need you to pick me up in the middle of the night. And she was like, okay, I got you. And I was like, cool. So then I called my dad. I was like, Hey, um, I'm going to get this thing signed. As soon as I get it, I'm going to need a plane ticket. He's like, okay, I got you. So I had my whole plan lined out. All my stuff's packed. And I was like, I get, now's the hardest part. I got to get her to sign this note. So I tried to cut out one and she immediately noticed, obviously. Mm. And she was like, I'm not signing this. Like, what the heck? So I was like, all right, plan B, it's really easy to make my mom mad. So I was just like, I hate living with you and you're the worst mom I've ever. And I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, you need to let me go. So she just started yelling at me and throwing shoes at me. That was always her thing. She kept like a pile of shoes. Mm, yep. Who was it? Who was it that joked? What, was it Eddie Murphy? That yeah, joked? man. Like, yeah. Yeah. The black <laughs> mom, the black mom, my mother was too. She threw every damn thing at us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I laughed so hard when he said, cause my mom would have a pile of them. Like, like they could be shoes that you haven't worn in years. years. Like, and she would just keep them piled up in front of her door. Freaking like so boomerangs. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And you just dodging shoes. So, um, so anyway, I start getting her mad at me and then she starts picking up the shoes and, and hucking them at me and, and she's getting escalated and escalated. And I was like, sign the note and I'll leave you alone. And I was like, just sign it, just sign it. Like we don't need this. And she was like, you know what? Fine. I'll sign it. That note isn't going to do anything. It's just a note. You're a kid. Like, what is it going to do? So she signs it. And then I put my plan in action. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners sleep number and highlight a couple of things they're doing guys. These sleep number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate, variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out a sleep number store wherever you live, go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to sleep number, get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. And how old were you at this time? You said 16? So, yeah, I was about 16. Goodness gracious. Yeah, something. 16 years old. So, right. so, so you start your life in New York. You're with your dad yeah. now. What, where'd you go from there? What happened next? So the, the, 
I thought I was in the, I was, I was in the clear. My dad owned a restaurant out in New York, uh, well-respected in, in the community and things were going good. Like they bought me new clothes. So I went to school, like all new war, new wardrobe. Oh, you, you were know, styling like, then, huh? I was you got there. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> what, what year was this? Was, Hold on. What year was this? This was 2000. Oh man. So I graduated in 2005. So like 2002. Okay. So we're mm-hmm. talking like Jinko jeans and affliction shirts. That, <laughs> that, that's the style we're talking here. <laughs> no. So, so out back East there, uh, out in New York there, the thing at the time was American Eagle. Oh, oh American yeah. Eagle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What part of New York were you in? So I was in Fredonia, so south of Buffalo. South of Buffalo. Minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. you and I are about the same age. So yeah, American Eagle, maybe yeah. the double shirt. Right yeah, with the with the yeah. choker necklace and, and the spiked hair, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, Cargo the shorts, had, yeah. the American Eagle boots with the red laces. Oh those yeah, are the, those are the flyest yeah. things. Yeah, oh yeah. I bet there's and some so, old pictures of me with that with that exact wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this was completely new for me because in in California you don't dress like that. In California right. it's like famous stars and straps and mm-hmm. you know uh, Travis Barker's brand. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, the flat billed hats. Uh-huh. It's yeah. The total. Uh-huh. You know, and the crazy thing is we went to the desert to do that, to back to feeling to do that documentary. It was like straight up same style. Man. Nothing's changed. <laughs> nothing's They're, changed. Uh. Nothing's changed. They're dressed the same way with the same fluffy shoes on and the same <laughs> flat bill hat. And I was like, oh, yeah. man, these guys. They're stuck so, in time. Yeah. They're stuck in time out in that desert. So I, so I went to um, new wardrobe. I'm a new man. And mm. uh, I go to school and like these, the like wealthy kids, like trying to befriend me and stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. They're like, Oh, your dad owns uh Barker brew company. And I was like, yeah, they're like, Oh, my dad owns this. And her dad owns that. And I was like, Oh, you guys are like the, the, the community of your, your parents own things in this town. I was like, this is, this is weird. Uh-huh. And it, it was cool. It like, I ended up not clicking up with those guys because they were a little too, a little too fine line for me, but um, it felt good. And then, it, that only lasted a, like a year because then my dad was like, we're moving to Colorado. Mm. And I was, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going. I was like, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm just going to stay here and finish school. And I was like 17. And then my buddy, Billy, his mom was like, you could stay here as long as you need to. And as long as you're going to school, she said, if you, the minute you drop out of school or don't go to school, you're out of my house. Mm. And I was like, thank you. That's all I need. I'm in, my senior year of high school, like I just need to finish school and then I'm, I'm out. I'm going to college. I'll do something else, mm-hmm. but I got to finish school. So she let me crash in her, in her, uh, her son's room. And then Billy, he was always at his friends. So he was never there anyway. And, uh, yeah, she, she held up her end of the bar. She was mm-hmm. like, she never, you know, you, when your house hop, you always get that feeling. Like when you overstayed your welcome, mm-hmm. you know, you could tell, right. Parents start to like, ah, you know, like, ah, what's going on mm-hmm. with your situation again? Right, mm-hmm. right. And you're like, ah, crap. Like it's over. Uh, she was never that way. You she said was, so that, started, you know what you said that? Like when you house hop, like, uh, <laughs> like all of us did, that. like we all did. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. So what you're casual. About. When, I was, said that. when I was house hopping in my 15s, yeah, exactly. I know exactly. When, what I, you're about. when I stayed the night at my friend's house, and his mom was like, "Yes, yeah, time for your ass to go." <laughs> so you that's have a good point. I don't really realize that that's not a normal thing to do. <laughs> so you have all this going on, and, and most seniors in high school at this point, juniors in high school, they're starting to think about the next step they're starting to think about what the what does the future look like finally it sounds like you have a little even though you're house hopping at least you have a cool host 
<laughs> so now maybe you're able to start thinking about the future a little bit. What was the yep. future? At this point, what were you thinking? Okay, I want to go do this. So at this point, I was like, um, I just wanted to graduate high school. So up until up until, up until, until this point, so like in Phelan, there was no chance to be graduate. I was failing every class. There was no chance. When I got to New York, they made me redo 10th grade, which was a huge blow mm. to my self-esteem and my sure. ego. And I was like, I was like, this sucks. But I got it back together. I got my senior year and I was like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to graduate. My grades had gotten up, but my senior year, I, I started meeting some college kids and uh, they just loved the party. And so it was like, like they at noon, they'd be like hanging out, drinking mm. beers. And I was like, this is the best life ever. <laughs> so I was like, I want to drink beers at noon. So I started like, I would go to the first half of school and the second half I'd go to my college buddies' houses and they'd be like, they'd be like, they call me regents. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told this story before, but in, um, in Fredonia, they have a, if you get certain, we ended up getting it, but if you pass enough testing, you get a regents diploma. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and so I, I was at this, I was at a party and one of our, one of our friends, uh, she's hilarious and she was in college and, uh, she was like, she was standing next to me. And this girl was flirting with me and I was, I was flirting with her. And then she was like, Oh, what's your degree in? And my friend goes, Regents diploma. <laughs> I was like, ah, shut up. So she, she was, she was diming me out for being in high school. So after that, they just started calling me Regents. So like, what up Regents? So I'd walk in the door at, at like at noon and they'd be like, Regents. I was like, ah, my people. And so anyway, the point of that was I, I had missed, so many days of school on mm -hmm. the back half that I had probably like four months left of school and I couldn't miss one more day or I was going to not mm -hmm. graduate. Mm -hmm. So that that's when I had to lock it in. And I was like, okay, I can't let my dad think that I couldn't make it on my own. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to prove to everybody that I don't need them because I told them I don't need them. And uh, I believe that to be true. So that's when I locked it in and was like, got my act together. Um, you know, finished school, graduated, and then from there, I was like, well, I guess you do the college thing. So that's what I started doing. I signed up for a, um, you know, junior college and started doing that. And mm -hmm. from there I met a, well, my senior year, I met a girl and then we got serious. And as I was in college, her, her grandma passed away. Who was, she was an amazing woman. Um, but her grandfather owned this company called Hughes Co. And so I didn't notice anything about this when we were dating but, uh, and we've been dating for a while now and her grandma passed away and all of a sudden they inherited her, what was left of her grandma's money, which was in like $6.5 million. Mm. And so, you know, we go from like, you know, I'm, I have no money. I'm just getting through trying to get, you know, make something of my life. And all of a sudden she's like, Hey, do you need my, just take my car. You can have my car. She's like, what do you need? And it's like, just paying for everything. Mm. And so I was like, well, I don't have any bills to pay because you just keep paying everything because mm. money just became like not an issue. Um, and then, so I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I was like, well, what do you, what would just be like some wild thing to go try and do? That's really hard. And so I was like, I'll be an actor. <laughs> so, so, what? Yeah. No background. In acting. Yeah. No, no thespian background whatsoever. No. But here no, we go. Like, yeah. I was like, let's send that. 
so that's kind of been the theme of my life is I'll just be like, Oh, this sounds like a good idea. I'm going to full send with everything I have. <laughs> and so, uh, we ended up moving to Los Angeles and then I got a, uh, an agent. I, I got, um, <laughs> I got SAG eligible. I was, I was like, I was showing up on, I was on like, in like, uh, what was that, uh, band? I was in like a music video and then I was in some like kids movie. And I was just like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but, this is cool. And so I'm living in, I'm living in a studio apartment in, uh, right, hold, hold on, living... wait, hold on, wait. <laughs> There's a lot of places. I think I, I thought this story was going to go. Not there. Yeah. Not there LA, I think it was not one of <laughs> Yeah. Like kickboxing. Yeah. This, this is a turn. I didn't uh... see. <laughs> Jiu-jitsu no tournaments right, or something. Right. Cause I'm trying to figure actor. out, okay, where does the green beret part come in? You decided to go act. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Just continue. Yeah. Just why not? And so like, think about it. So think about the, think about the dynamic here. So now acting is this like really hard thing if, because you have to pay your bills, mm. but then you have to go to auditions at noon, mm-hmm. one in the afternoon. So like, it doesn't make sense. Right. The whole career is like completely doesn't make any sense. So, but when your fiance is like a millionaire, it's like, why not? Right. Yeah. Why yeah, not? Sure. I can, I can go, I can go to an audition at noon. I can go at one. I can go middle of the night. I could work this set for almost no money for three days. Uh-huh. It, if it's going to give me my SAG card, which it did. So like, and I'm living in a nice apartment in Sherman Oaks. So I was like, oh, mm. it's, so I became addicted to it. And I started doing acting class, like nonstop. I read every book. Um, I just became obsessed. And so I'm getting pretty decent at it. And then, uh, so then I come home one day and she starts picking a fight with me and she's like, you know what? You just need to leave. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I just need to leave. And she's she's like, just go to your brother's house. So I was like, I was like, all right, fine. So I go to my brother's and I was like, what am I doing? And I was like, I'm going home. And we, we just got married. Oh, you just, you're married at this point. Yeah. So, so we moved to LA, I'm doing the acting thing and then we get married. So we actually fly back to New York to get married. Uh And then we go back to LA as a married couple, like three months in, she picks this fight with me. I go to my brother's house for the the night, but then I decide to come home in the middle of the night. So when I come home, she's in bed with another dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's when I was like, oof, I thought about like hurting real bad and you know, but I didn't. And I was like, you know what? It's Jeez. not worth it. So yeah. that was the one part, which was really shocking to me, was the one moment in my life when I was like actually depressed. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really weird because I was like, after all I've been through, how is this, how is cheating something that like threw me through a mental and emotional mm. loop that I couldn't handle? Mm-hmm. And so I'd spent the next like four days just drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes. I didn't even smoke and I don't, I never smoked since, but I would just smoke cigarettes and drink. And I was just like on this, I got, you know, tattoo on my neck, which I ended up having cut off because I didn't like it. And mm-hmm. I was just do, I was just doing like reckless things. I was trying to like destroy myself. And I realized now that that was in a depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, that depression kind of, I hit a, a point where I was like, I can't, I can't let a woman do this to me after all, you know, what my parents did and everything I've gone through. Like I need to be better than that. So that was the moment I had where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make something of myself and I'm going to make her regret that. Mm. And that, that's what pulled me out of the depression is it gave me purpose. It was like, I could, 
become so good of a man that she regrets that decision for the rest of her life. And that's, uh, that's what I did. I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. So so you start you start breaking out of this uh, this depression. Uh, you yeah. start saying, and the way you phrase it is you found a purpose again, that you're going to be a, a man that, yeah. she, that she'll regret doing that too. So where do you go from there? You're at, you're at what, 22, 23 at this point? Yeah, well, I, was a, I think a 21, 22 at okay. this point. Yeah, yeah, probably 22. Yeah. Um, but, you know, real quick, one thing I, I thought of uh, during a little break was the, the actor thing. Because, you know, looking at it, it's really strange. It's a really wild thing to think about. Like, why? Why mm. does that make sense? Mm. But you know, I, I think that the reason that that was such a great place for me, um, and now I'm kind of like, kind of getting back to that in a way through the YouTube and through doing content and um, potentially a Netflix show or hosting uh-huh. a Netflix show. Waiting to hear back on that, but the it was it's a growing up the way I did. I was able the the reason I was able to get through it and what helped me get through it a lot was daydreaming yeah and kind of living in the clouds and in in i use my imagination to create better places for myself mm-hmm. and so the whole idea of the acting thing it was it just seemed like the natural escapism that i've already been practicing for my whole yeah. life mm-hmm. um and it was a way to that and it was a way to earn something that's difficult yeah. so i've always had this like desire to do things that are notoriably or notoriety notoriably that's not a word but are like universally we'll say um accepted as as difficult Mm. you know like they're doing pro football like no one's gonna everybody knows that professional football is insanely difficult if not nearly impossible to get into i needed something like that Mm -hmm. you know and that's that's the same kind of connotation that acting has like being an actor is like it's a catch 22 to even try to break into that business. And you're right. almost a psychopath to even try because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I think that's the, the draw for me in that time for acting. Yeah. And it's like, that's the sense that it made to me without even me realizing it. And right. that's also what leads into the green beret side is like, when you get into the military, there's a, a thing that is so hard to break into that instantly everyone knows you did it. Mm-hmm. And in the military, that's special forces. Um, you know, if you play sports, professional sports, like and I was thinking about this today, like every, every single profession has that tip of the spear, that's right? right? That, that hardest, the right. hardest echelon. Mm-hmm. And some of us just, we just want that. We want that notoriety. We want mm-hmm. that feeling. We want to know that we're, we're one of the, the boys that are in that small, small club and that we made it, you know, and yeah. that's, 
in my in my young mind like acting was the only like way I thing I could think of that had that because I'm thinking of society as a whole and society as a whole appreciates the small amount of people that mm. become actors yeah I didn't realize at the time that you don't have to think of society as a whole you just have to narrow into a career path mm. and then those that career path will then have that high echelon of people right right so what led to the military then how did how did you get get on that path so I the military is another funny not funny story it was the I decided I wanted to be, I want to do something else. So the minute my ex cheated on me, it was like, um, like, and I decided I was going to do something better with my life. I lost that addiction for the, the acting, mm-hmm. which is crazy because like yeah. it, I was, in, I was enslaved to it. Like I loved it so much. Like I spent every minute sending out headshots or at acting class or, um, just working tirelessly. Like I treated it like, like an absolute obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, everything I did was for, for acting. And so when she did that, it was like, all of a sudden I felt like I could do something else again. I was like, I could, I could pick any job again. Like I'm back in that, I hit the reset button for mm-hmm. me. And I was like, I pick anything my heart desires. And and again, I'm back in my imagination and I'm, I'm dreaming of all the things that could make me feel good. And I was like, being a firefighter would be really cool. I'm going to go do that. So I signed up for college and started doing, um, the prerequisites for the fire academy in Victorville, which was like confined space awareness and all these college courses I had to do. Well, the last one of that was EMT school. And in EMT school, the guy that I shared a ride with, because it was a far drive for us to go because it was in Big Bear. So I would, we would swap, like I'd drive one day, he would drive the next and we'd go back and forth. And uh, this kid's like this little skater kid, probably like 125 pounds. Like he's just small. And one day he comes up to me in class and I'm sitting in the back, like wearing Crocs, even though we're supposed to be in boots. Cause <laughs> I always gotta, I always gotta be that guy that's just breaking the rules. Um, and he's like, Hey, got, he's like, dude, that guy wants to fight me. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, the guy up front, man, he wants to fight me. And this is like bigger dude. And I was like, he's got this army backpack. And I don't know anything about the military. So I'm like, Oh, he must be like a, a real badass." So like, he's got an army backpack. He probably beat us both. But I was, you know, I'm from the desert. I was like, I'll fight anybody. And so I was like, okay. Like, well, he's not going to fight you because what's the point? Right. (laughs) No offense, dude, but you are small. Like he's just a, he's just a bully. So in my head, I was like, if you're going to pick on this kid, because he's so small, you're being a bully. And that pisses me off. Uh But I, I didn't, I didn't think that I was like, he's, he's not trying to fight you. I'm like, he's not, there's no way. So I get up to go spit out my gum and I'm kind of low key, just like you asked Darren, if I, mm-hmm. you know, do, do this stuff to myself. Yeah. I'm kind of checking. You know, I'm see. <laughs> so I get up to spit, you know, I get up to spit my gum out and I go to the front of class and I put my gum in the trash and I turn around and I look at him and in desert, you know, that's a fight. So he, he looks at me and goes, the fuck you looking at? Yep. And I was like, he is trying to fight. Right. Check that box. Well, you're not going to fight him. You're going to fight me instead. And I was like, so I'm tapping in. So I was like, all right, well, I'll see you at lunch. And he's like, all right. So we go outside. Lunch happens. I have my Crocs on. So I had to tell my buddy, I was like, what size boots do you wear? He's like a nine. I was like, give me your boots, man. I'm not going to fight in Crocs. Like, Dude, not only are like, Crocs I'm... nice and stylish, they're, they're functional as well. So great choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could have turned the four-wheel drive on the Crocs and threw that back panel up. I would have been good to go. But... So, so, he gets... <laughs> so, 
So he gives me his boots and I was like, I was like, all right, so we go outside and I'm an idiot. So I've been in a fight before in, um, I've been in lots of fights, but one in particular, this taller kid, uh, I went to hit him. Uh, I missed and he grabbed my shirt and he did the hockey pullover. Yeah. On oh, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And so once he did a hockey pullover, like I had to, luckily he didn't just start hitting me. So I had to finish it. Uh, I figured that was the best way to get past this mm-hmm. was to just rip the shirt completely off. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he hit me and about knocked me out. But um, so I was always afraid of the hockey pullover happening on me again. So when we start a shirt, we'll start a fight. I would take my shirt off. Uh-huh. So I took my shirt off to avoid the hockey pullover again. And he gets in my face and he puts his nose like right here. And he touches his nose on my forehead. And I was like, you, that's gross, dude. And I was like, you don't touch people. Well, you already crossed the line. So I headbutted him. And his nose just pops open. Like, oh. it just starts gushing blood. And his apparently he was dating a girl in class because she just starts screaming bloody murder, which then gets the teacher to come out. And who's the only jackass without a shirt on? Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. obviously, <laughs> it, it was me fighting. So I get kicked out of EMT school. So I was like, dang it, man. I did it to myself. I did it to myself again. And, like I got in trouble and uh, ruined a good opportunity. I was, you know, I was mm. doing good in EMT school. I was like, it was really uh, doing well. And I was excited about it because I was really nervous about failing because it was a condensed course. So anyway, she kicks, she kicks me out. She, well, she says I'm under investigation and I can't come back until the investigation's over. And you could only miss two days of this condensed course and you fail. So the next morning I was like, well, I'm not, becoming a loser i was like i got a mission and i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna get better and i was like i just ruined that opportunity so i was like i have a lot of learning and growing to do i was like who's gonna let me do that who's gonna kind of help me you know hone in Mm. my myself and and you know scrape off the rough edges and help me out so i was like the military they do that for people those guys fight all the time right? right so the next morning i just walked in the recruiter's office and he's like, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a ranger. I heard those guys are tough. And again, I'm just trying to jump to that mm-hmm. high echelon. I was like, send me those guys. And he's like, all right. He's like, come back tomorrow and we'll see what you get. So came back the next morning. He's like, yeah, I got a ranger contract. He's like, but I got bad news. And I was like, what's that? And, and in my mind, I'm like, you give me a ranger contract. I don't care if there's no bad news. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would have paid him for that contract. And he was like, well, they, they won't give me an infantry spot. There's none available. He's like, but I got a cook spot available. And I was like, a, a ranger cook? I was like, that exists? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah, and this, there's this ranger guy in the back as a recruiter. And he goes, you're going to be a cow killer. <laughs> and I was like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> like, what? Why am I not talking to that guy? Like, well, this is a ranger. Like, he's got the ranger. It says ranger on his arm. I was like, I don't know what that means, but that's the guy. Like, why am I talking? He's telling me I'm going to be a cow killer. Like, what does that even <laughs> mean? And he's like, don't, don't worry about it. He's like, ah. you, uh, you'll do like six months of, you'll get into Ranger Regiment, you go to airborne school, you do like six months to switch to infantry. No big deal. And I was like, all right, I could do six months anything. Horrible idea. So now, now all I do is coach people not to listen to your recruiters. Like, <laughs> pick, pick, pick what you want from, you know, the start. So that I signed up. I, I went to, um, cook school, learn how to flip some eggs. And then I went to airborne school and then I went to ranger assessment selection. I got injured in ranger selection. They sent me to Germany. Uh, I, you know, fought to get out of 
that that job in Germany, and then I got assigned to uh, personal security detachment for the command sergeant major, hmm. and I loved that job. That was an awesome job. And then from there, I healed up from my injury and, and ranger selection, and uh, went to. He sent me home early from deployment, like two weeks early, to go to uh, special forces selection, and I passed that the first time, uh, passed the Q course, and then became Green Beret. Hmm. Um, so I got two two deployments to Afghanistan, one as uh, personal security for the Sergeant Major, and then one as a Green Beret. Uh, got in a ton of gunfights in, in the second deployment, got lucky. Because, I mean, there's guys on the team that have been Special Forces for like 15 years, and they have the same amount of combat as I do. Mm. Like, combat's not a guarantee in, right. in Special Operations. Now, were you so looking? Like, let's, let's go back on this. Were you, I mean... Yeah. You always said you wanted the tip of the spear. So you're you're in Ranger School. You come back. You're, you evidently you went to the hospital. Is a hospital in Germany that that you went to 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 heal up or what was that? No. So when I I got a severe um, sprain in my ankle, so my whole ankle turned black. I was on crutches, mm-hmm. but they just sent they so they just send you you go to that was in Benning, right? Where, uh, in Georgia, where they have the Ranger selection, uh-huh. right? So they put me on crutches. They told me, hey, man, you're a med drop. Come back when you're healed up. Um, and then from there, they sent me to Germany as my first duty station. Okay, so th- was it there that you started to think, I want to be a, a Green Beret? I mean, when was the thought yeah. to start to say, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be in Special Forces in the Green Berets. That's the that's where I want to go. So immediately before I even signed up, I knew I wanted to be in Special Forces. Mm-hmm. Because, the you know, so but to, at the time, I want to be a ranger. And then I switched because once I got to Afghanistan my first time, I started seeing green berets coming in mm-hmm. um, and they were getting shot up. I mean, I saw, you know, two, two green berets coming off the bird, just, just dead from, uh, you know, multiple small arms fire. And I was like, I need, these guys need help. You know, these guys are getting after it. Mm-hmm. Not saying the rangers weren't, but I was seeing the green berets and I was like, these are, these are men amongst men. I was like, the those green braids, like I'll never forget this one guy. And he's he's carrying the body of his dead friend. And he has him on a stretcher and he's just like stone, like st- stone face, no expression. And I'm looking at his wrist. And so we wear these bracelets. So if you ever mm-hmm. see the black bracelet, you know, for the, the guys that we lost. Um, and he's got like five of them stacked on his arm. And I'm like, this guy's already lost like at least five people. There's probably multiple names on each one of those bracelets. And he's carrying right now, he's carrying a dead teammate. Mm. I'm like, this dude, this dude's been through like legitimate hell. Mm. And I was like, I need to be with those guys. Like Mm -hmm. these guys, these guys are it. Like I just saw him and I was like, that is the most like, like, hardened human being individual I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, if they let me in, that means something. If, mm-hmm. if someone like him looks at me and says, you're good enough for us, mm. shit, that, right. that means something. So mm-hmm. that was, that was my goal after that. Yeah. Yeah. So you become a green beret and it's wild because we've, we've heard your whole story here. I mean, it's crazy to think where you started to became mm-hmm. to becoming one of the elite yeah. of the elite which is just crazy. So I, I guess 
what's your opinion on, or what's your thoughts on, you know, because you hear, you hear a couple of trains of thought from people. It, it's pull yourself up by the bootstraps, right? Get it done. No excuses. No matter where you come from, everybody can be successful. There's that mm-hmm. train of thought. Then there's the other train of thought where no matter what I do, th- these are the circumstances I was born with. There's nothing I can do about it, right? I, I just, there's nothing I can do. So where right. do you fall based on your story, based on where you are now and where you come from? What's your opinion on that whole discussion? No, I think that's a great point is because I just wrote a second book and I'm, um, uh, Jocko's publishing company's reading it now. So hopefully they pick it up. Mm. But, uh, the whole point of that is it's called better broken and people need to understand that not only can everyone achieve success, I truly believe because of my background that broke people who have trauma mm-hmm. are more equipped for success. Absolutely. It's, Oh, yeah, so, so true, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that it's equal at all. I think it's unfair. Mm-hmm. I think the people that have trauma or it's, it, they have an unfair advantage over everybody <laughs> else. Well, that and is good. Unfair. Say that again. Yeah. And, Say that again. I, yeah. People, people with trauma have an unfair advantage Oof. over everybody else. Wow. And yeah. the only problem is that they, no one's told them before. They don't realize it yet. And I've experienced it not because I knew beforehand or because someone came and told me and was like, Hey man, you know, I just, I, this part of my personality to, to kind of just like send it, yeah, you know, and, and, and see what happens and, and just go for it and go for it and go for it. Right. Um, but through that way of living, I've come to realize that my biggest advantage has always been my trauma. Did you, did and you ever, did you ever have that realization in the moment going through it? Did you ever have that perspective or is it only now looking back that you have that perspective? It took a long time. Mm. And that's, that's why I think it's, it's important that we tell people with trauma that they're better um, and that they're more equipped than they realize, because this isn't like some corny sales pitch. Like this is something I had to experience over a lot of hardship. Um, And it was through like through writing my first book, like that first book was like just getting it out for me. It was a terrifying experience. I didn't, I didn't put everything into it that I wish I did. And that's why the second book is a thing. Um, it's short and it's to the point and it's, it's a hail Mary pass of get it out of my hands before, um, I give up and I, I'm afraid to, to let it go. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what it was for me. But the, the process of writing it unpacked so much of my trauma that I had just put away and avoided and hid. And so through that unpacking, I started to realize that, um, all the good things in my life were tied to the bad things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we try to compartmentalize, right? It's like just so natural. We take all the bad and we tuck it way back in here. And then we put it away in this like deep recess in the closet and we pretend like it doesn't exist. But then we don't realize that there's so much good attached to those things that we just pack those into the closet. And we're pretending like all our, uh, you know, determination mm-hmm. and, and all the good yeah. things don't exist too. So we're not using the tools that we gained from all the hardship. We're packing it all the way because we're so afraid of the pain that we'd rather be worse off, um, than have to face it. And then, because it's really hard, it's, it's terrifying. It's hard to look at it and be like, man, this really affected me in a, in a horrible way. You know, the trauma was terrible, but once you look at it, then you look past like, Oh man, that's why I'm so determined. That's yeah. why I don't give up. That's why I'm yeah. stubborn. Like it came from this. You know what? You said something earlier in, in, in 
the conversation that we were having about you wanted to give people credit because there were people I think Ben asked the question of who was there was there a bright light that was there and you said yeah you don't you don't want to not mention people that were in your life that that were positives but a lot of this shit you went through by yourself like mm-hmm. there was some late it was some some dark desert nights where you're going through all this trauma and you had to deal with this on your own and mm-hmm. that and and when you're alone and I've gone through this in particular in my own life is when you're alone and you and there's no one to save you it's either it's either you know there's no other there's nowhere else to go you got to save self and you yep. got to look at yourself in the mirror and go shit it, hey ain't nobody else coming to, you know there's nobody that's coming to the rescue here it is and yes, i think sir. that's what shaped your life mm-hmm. uh through, through the most part of, of of from from day one 100 that, yeah. that's the that's a mo it's such a valuable point that you make because like People don't, for me personally, is like, no one's coming. Right. Mm. Nobody's mm. coming. There's yeah. nobody coming to the rescue. Like mm. I, I either wake up tomorrow and I'm miserable or I do something about it so I can wake up tomorrow and not be miserable. It's on me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think that victim mentality comes from when people are like, I'm going to, I'm going to cry wolf until somebody comes yeah. and rescues me. Yes. And it's like people that know real trauma know that nobody's coming oh, and nobody gives yeah. a shit. So you could sit there and you can cry wolf until you starve to death. Oh man, we got to bottle that up, brother. Yeah. That that is awesome what you just said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You said well, you co- said it. I'm just piggybacking <laughs> off on you. No, but it, but it holds weight when when people like when, when you two talk about it mm. because of what you've been through. And, and you said corny sales, but it's not corny when it comes from somebody like you because you're not just trying to sell something that that you read mm. in a book somewhere. You live this life. Yeah. This is yeah. this this holds weight when you talk about. This is what you've got to do. And when Darren talks about that, and that's what, that's what I love about this is that's what encourages us is, is examples. Like you could have easily, very easily been a broken man still to this day, mm-hmm. but you chose to move past that. You chose to better yourself. And that's what's so encouraging about your story is that, man, you had the wildest childhood of anybody we've ever talked to. Right. Yeah. And now you're doing some of the most incredible things and you, you are one of the most incredible people. And I think wow, that's thanks, the inspiration. I, I think that's the inspiration. That is, is the inspiration, yeah. Is that it is possible. Is it hard? Is it easy? No. Is it fun? No. But it is possible. 100% possible. You know, and I still deal with stuff. Like, I'm. there's always improvement that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm always self-evaluating to see what is what is affecting me now that's from my past. And, like, how do I fix it? How do I mm-hmm. keep getting better? So, you know, mm-hmm. self-education is a big thing. Like, I had to learn how to communicate with people because the way I was taught and the way I saw communication is if, if we disagree, I raise my voice. Mm -hmm. And then if you, that doesn't back you down, then you raise your voice louder. Now I got to step up up. more. And then, and so now, now it's like, all right, now we're peacocking and we're puffing and we have to fight. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the escalation of an argument where I come from. It's like, you know, I feel like Darren, (laughs) he's like, yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> that, that, that's the process until it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna throw fists. Like mm. that's, that's how you communicate. Right. Right. And so I had to relearn how to communicate with people. Mm. And it's like, wait a minute, if I just look at their perspective and try to understand where they're coming from now, I could be okay with the difference because it makes sense. Like that's insane. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. That's so did you learn that? And when you went to the, I, I know you were, when you were in the military, it was one thing when you were, you know, 
going through that. But when you got with the, uh, the with the Green Beret, was that something that was taught within you? Did you have someone that 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 focused on that part of, or did you work on that part when you were with the Green Berets? Because I mean, you guys do a lot, a lot of the times when you were probably in Afghanistan, you're putting out fires, like. Mm. You're trying to, you know, settle in people with the village and all that. Yeah. So talk to me how that how that went went down. So that's that's a good point because I found that in Afghanistan I had some of the best rapport with the Afghans. Not not comparing myself to other people. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like for me personally, like I, I found it really easy to build rapport because I was like I was just so empathetic with people. I'm like you're you're poor. I'm like, oh, poor. Like <laughs> right. your life is 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 third world. Like I was kind of you know. Mm-hmm in that situation, like my life really sucked. I'm like, I empathize with you. Like I, I could, I could feel your pain. I was like, just understand that we both have a mission, mm-hmm. you know? And so we both have to figure out how we're going to get to that point. But I hear you. I, I see what you want. Mm-hmm. I, I acknowledge you. Right. And like, I could, I could empathize that, you know, you have these issues and that my batteries could make a big impact on, on your day and your fighting force. And if I just give you these up to you, but you also, now have to understand me. So I found that like empathizing with people in bad situations, I had a one up because I was like, listen, I, I get where they're coming from. Right. They just want to be heard. Um, but then at the same time, like when I was in the green Berets and, and when I was training for that, it was one of the hardest things because I would go to formation and green Berets are like a scattered group. Most of them are, are already very successful in their lives. Mm-hmm. So like you, you're saying in formation, these, these green Berets, these are really confident dudes. And at the time there was no females allowed. So I could, you know, when I say all men, it was all men at the time, but, uh, there's, these are really confident guys. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these guys, some of them were pro pro football players before mm-hmm. we've had, uh, lawyers, we've, you know, um, guys that own successful companies and they're, they're, wanting to be green beret. So I'm staying in formation with these guys. And it's like, yeah, I was pro football player. Like, Oh, I own this company. And they're talking about stocks and they're talking about, and I'm over here. Like, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't even have a conversation with these people. Like mm-hmm. I had to keep my mouth shut. So they're going to find out that I don't watch the news. I don't yeah. know history. I don't know anything. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm undereducated. I have no education. I flunked out of high school, like uh, flunked out of 10th grade, barely passed high school. I was like, I, I just wanted so bad. To, to stand in a formation of those men and feel equal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my whole struggle in like before this point where I'm at now is like, was just wanting to stand in a group of successful men that, and just like fit in and not mm-hmm. feel like I had to fake it. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's, that, that was where I was. Oh. Yeah, no, you've done that. Absolutely done that. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about mission, you talk about business building, we opened up the show talking about you're the CEO of FNG. Tell us about FNG Academy, what you guys are doing, uh, and the mission that you're on now. Yeah, so um, after the after the military, I went police department, and then police department, I, I got on a small team, um, and I was loving it. And then, you know, George Floyd happened, and we all knew that was going to be bad. Mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget sitting in the team room. It was a six, six-man team, uh, two females, and we were – uh, citywide impact. So our, it was a, just formed in Denver is the first citywide impact team. And our job was to go anywhere the crime was going to be. And it was amazing. We just got the promotion. It was huge because I wasn't even eligible for it yet. So it was like this big promotion and I, I, it was incredible. And we were sitting in the, the team room and uh, one of my teammates, uh, he goes, did you see? And I was like, no. And they, they showed us the George Floyd thing. And we all looked at each other and we're like, Oh man. 
Fuck. Man. So we knew we didn't know how bad it was going to get, but we knew we were all going to feel that that mm-hmm. one officer was going to make us all feel the pain mm-hmm. of his decisions. Um, and then the riots broke out. So because we were a citywide impact team and we we're a small team, we went all over and it, the riots were just insane. The riots were nuts. It was like my whole team dispersed. Mm. Um, and it was like, I was just by myself. So like everyone's just by themselves. We're jumping on with other cops that we don't know. We're completely mixed. Like we're getting Molotov cocktails thrown at us. We're getting rocks. Uh, we'd be in the streets and my, like, I saw an officer take a boulder to the leg and he's collapsed mm. over, um, you know, almost killed like multiple times, almost got hit standing on the side of a um, RDV. It was a rapid deployment vehicle. It's a truck you stand on and people were trying to hit us with their cars. Uh, wow. So at one point I got pinned in between the, the truck and a car. So, but that felt like home, right? It felt like the, the chaos of um, mm. the riots was like kind of like war. But then what happened that was really bad was after the fact that the department started not having our backs as mm. police officers. So they started not supporting us. And um, then we felt targeted. Mm. So then my, my PTSD like started going through the roof. I was having panic attacks driving into work. And uh, that's when I was like, I need to go. I need to go. I can't do this. I was like, I'm not about this. Like, I don't like, I don't like going to work every day and feeling because I have a half, my, my sister is a half sister and she's half black. Mm-hmm. And so I like, I've seen her, I've seen racism towards her as a kid. Mm-hmm. And at the time I thought it was because she's a, she's a little sister. She's annoying. That's why yeah. people treat her different. Cause she's a little annoying sister. Like, oh. like I can't stand her either. She's right. always up in my business, you know? And it, it wasn't until years later that I, th- I realized that she was, is racism. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, like members of my own family treating her different. And it's like, Oh shit. So I, I just wanted, I wanted the community like to know, like it, it feels weird as a cop, as a white person after George Floyd, and you're still trying to go out and do your job. And you're like, you're, they're sending you to these gang neighborhoods. Yeah. And it's like all, it's a black community. Right. And it's like, uh, in, in the certain parts of Denver, you got Trey, Trey Crips and you know, it's, it's a, it's all black gangs. Mm. So now you're pulling over people in the black community and you could say what you're trying to do all day long. You could be like, yeah, I'm trying to find guns and dope. Mm. But at the end of the day, all that people see is a white guy pulling over a black that's guy. Right. And yep. that's not good in this environment. Mm. And that, that looks like I'm just some racist white cop. And I, I fit the, like I have, I was shaving, so I don't have, can't have my beard. Mm. So I'm just like this, like, you know, I'm <laughs> Mr. White cop. That I grew up, I grew up in a middle class right. neighborhood and I, and I'm going to give you a ticket. Yeah. So right. people don't know that like, I didn't grow up that way, but right. they're not going to ask me, you know, mm-hmm. even my partner, my partner was, was uh black during the riots and they're calling him uncle Tom and yeah. race trader. Yeah. And they're, dude, they're throwing stuff at him. And like, we get in the car after that and I see him and he just, it hurts him, yeah. man. Like he joined the police department to represent the black community, mm-hmm. to make change. You know, he joined to, to be the change and to show that, Hey, you're not going to treat my people the way I don't think is okay. Right. It's not going to happen. And I'm going to make sure of it. And now he's being called an uncle Tom and a yeah. race trader. Yeah. And I was like, dude. And so yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. My, my PTSD was, I was, it was going through the roof and I was like, I'm not playing this game anymore. So mm-hmm. I moved on. And then from there, it was like that thing again, right? When you get that moment to pick anything. Mm. And I, I love that. Like those moments for me are the best of my life. Like the picking the acting thing. Right. When people <laughs> think you're going to go this way and you go, 
I'm going to go over there. And it's just like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like the best. So, and then picking, um, uh, military was that thing again. It was mm-hmm. like off left field. But then what wasn't off left field is going from military to police. Mm. That was, that was very much like, Oh yeah, that's what yeah, you that guys makes sense. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And I hated it. I was like, I don't want to be doing what everyone thinks mm-hmm. I want to do. So from there, I was like, I went from the police department. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get on YouTube and I'm going to help people. And I'm going to teach people about special forces and I'm going to do it in front of a camera working from home Mm. so I could avoid, uh, you know, road rage. I could avoid rush hour traffic. Mm -hmm. I could start adjusting my lifestyle to fit my triggers from my PTSD, from my childhood and my PTSD from combat. Um, I'm, this is my chance to like change my world to fit all my triggers and to make me live the happiest life possible. Cause like Darren, you're saying like, it, whether you wake up miserable or you wake up happy, that's yeah. on you. It's on you. Nobody yep. cares. Yep. You, you could have, you could wake up miserable and have every excuse in the book. I'm miserable because my parents sucked that's and right. this sucked and everyone sucked. But at the end of the day, you're still miserable. Yeah. Huh. You're still, so you're, being, you're, you're still being that victim. Oh, yeah. my, the world is falling. The sky is falling. No, dude, right. get your ass up and go. It's on you. Right. Yeah. So what does it matter how many excuses you have? You're still, if you still wake up and you don't like where you're at. So my thing is like, I want to enjoy waking up every day. Like yeah. I got one life and <laughs> I think my, you know, I'm, I've almost been killed from, uh, about three gunfights where I've watched the rounds hit me. A guy next to me got shot. I've been shot at when I was eight. I had gangrene in my appendix that mm. I burst in the doctor's hands. I've been in two car accidents. I don't remember. Um, like, mortality is very right. clear in my mind. Like yeah. I've accepted, I've accepted that life is short. And I think that's one of the benefits. And that's something I talk about in my book just briefly, just like, Hey guys, you need to accept that time is limited yeah. because if you don't, you're never going to feel that drive to just like go out and get something done. Like you have to acknowledge that your time on this planet is limited. And the last thing you want to do is lay in your deathbed, knowing that your time is up and being like, I, I should have done more. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Like no way, dude. Yeah. No way. Like Preach I want to lay in my bed and be like, I went hard. I, yeah. Sorry guys. Like I left it, I left it blazed down. Like I'm sorry for the things. And, I, and I doesn't that, do. and doesn't that feel so much better? Like from an acute standpoint, the days that you are just crushed yourself and you lay in bed at night and you know, you put everything you have, those just feel better. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm, right. Yeah. And, and that, that mentality just, I mean, you get so, yes, you get the benefits of, of working hard, but it just feels better too. Yeah. To lay it all out there and leave it all out there on the field. Absolutely. And I, I think that like kind of from like a religious point is a, like I developed a relationship with God, like when I was a kid, cause I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it, but I was like, I would pray when things were really, really bad. Yeah. And then he, he would always come through for me. And yeah. then it took me years to realize that all oh, that whole time he was coming through for me, he's always like protected. Yeah. But I, I think that like, yeah, you're saved if you like accept God into your life. But if you just try your best to do the things that he says to do, Ooh, yeah. then you just enjoy now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the gift. That's what he's trying to tell you is like, Hey, I'm not telling you this because, Oh, you're going to go to hell. Or like, if you're, if you know, people would try to use the Bible against everyone. Oh, you're going to go to hell. And I was like, no, dude, stop. Yeah. The reason we try to follow these rules and live the best life we can is because it feels better. Like when we don't cheat, when you don't gamble, when you don't act crazy and like go to, you know, hook up with strippers. Right. Right. 
You know, if you why'd you look at Darren when you know, said no, that? He looked at me. He looked at me. But you're right, man. You're going down this path. What yes. you're saying, brother. Like you know, it's the reason why we changed the, the podcast to the one shot podcast because we we only got one shot at this thing, right? Only got one. So why yeah. not get up and, and shake off the haters because you're gonna have haters. Mm-hmm. And live your life the way you want to live it, man. And I'm I'm so Absolutely. proud of you, man, because mm-hmm. I'm listening to your story. You could have easily have given up at 12, at 14, at nine, at nine. <laughs> yeah, at it, there, you had so many milestones in your life when things weren't going your way that you could have absolutely stopped. And you're telling your story right now to someone that's going, that's suffering right now, that's mm-hmm. 17, mm-hmm. 18 years old, man. And I'm so glad we got you on, so they can hear you. They can hear the story and where you are today. And I appreciate that, man. And like, it feels good. Like that's, that's one thing. Like I've gotten messages like, Oh, I did, I went through the same thing. And like, I've gotten messages where it's a picture of me mm. and they're like, dude, we went to school together. And then they're pick, they show me a picture of like 12, 10 or 12 or whatever <laughs> in the school book. I was like, Hey man, that's a, don't lie on the internet. <laughs> yeah. People, people are not, they're going to resonate, but they're also going to fact check and man, but oh, yeah. it feels it feels good to see like I'm connecting with people that like I went to school with in like elementary school yeah. that are like, dude, you were talking about feeling and like nobody's ever talked about us. And like you, you, I was going through the same thing. And I've had a guy, he was, uh, I thought this was the coolest thing. He was a professional football player and he mm-hmm. hit me up. He, he's talking about his past and how he had some sexual abuse in his past mm-hmm. and how my story kind of like resonated with his abuse, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, you know, thank God I didn't have sexual abuse in my past. And I, but I really, I always knew like that was out there. So right. like people that go through that, like sexual abuse, I, they were, they were the benchmark for me. Mm. You know, after all this stuff I've been through, I always hung my hat on the fact that no one ever tried to like sexually right. assault me. Mm-hmm. And even though the opportunities were abundant, right. Mm-hmm. Cause you're, you're just a kid right. ready to be victimized by anybody, anyone mm-hmm. who just decides. So I always tell myself, and that's where, how I stayed positive is like, nobody's done that to me. I haven't mm. had to go down that road and some poor soul has gone down that road. Right. And then now those guys hit me up and said, my story resonates with them sometimes. And it's like, man, yeah. we're, we're all connected through, are, through yes. the trauma, yes. you know, man, that's a, that's a good way to, I think, wrap this up. Mm. Is that right there? I think, you know, <laughs> again, we, we knew this was going to be a wild, you know, an interesting conversation. Uh, but again, the, the best part about it is just your mentality today and, and how you've come through it and how you're inspiring other people. And that's what we hoped. And, and that's what we know people will get out of this. Where can people find more out about you, Sean? Where, where can people get more, where can people find your YouTube channel? Obviously on YouTube, yeah, so, but what's, what's your YouTube channel called? Yeah. So the YouTube channel is the FNG Academy. Um, and then we have a website it's getting rebuilt right now, fngacademy.com. Awesome. So our whole thing is just helping people get selected and, and we're giving mentorship we got a mentorship program that's dropping um, in about a month and a half. That's going to give people the opportunity to do one-on-one coaching, group group coaching, mm. um, and then uh, we're hoping 2022 is the time that we launch our, you know, open our first building, so that way mm. we can have uh, a store and we can have a place where we come and people can come and we can get uh, in-person mentorship and guidance um, and really just break down that barrier. So it's like there's a lot of the special operations community that's like banging on their chest how tough they are, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which, hey, they are tough. I don't take that away from them. I'm not disrespecting them in any way. We just want to be different. We want to show people that there's normal people out there that do it. They can achieve it. And um, you could even come from 
uh, a broken past and still achieve that high level. Um, and then hopefully, hopefully I could show them that, um, you know, they're even more likely to achieve it coming from that broken past. And that, that's something that I'm really trying to hone in right now is like, how, how do I convey this message? You know, it's not always, it's always easy. You got a great message, man. I love it. So your book rising above, and then you've got another book that's hoping to come out. When are you hoping to launch that second book? So I'm hoping sometime I'm hoping by at least by the end of this year. Awesome. So we still gotta I still gotta see if uh, Jocko Publishing is gonna pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, if they do, if they do great. Um, if they don't, that's okay too. We'll just go self publishing and then it'll be out uh, a little sooner probably because then I, I know the timeline for that right. one right. Uh, because I I did the self publishing for the first book. So we'll just go that route again if uh, Jocko doesn't want to pick it up. Um, but the main reason I want I was hoping for Jocko and I decided before I even wrote the book that I would I would reach out to him and ask him to publish it and we could work, publish it together is just because he's an inspiration to me mm-hmm. as far as like Jocko's not what I am. He's not anything like me. He's, mm. he's, he's the, you know, if you think of what right is, you're going to, Jocko's going to do the right thing. Always. He's mm. not going to be emotional. He's not going to, he's not going to let anything deter him. So I use him as a, as a guiding point when I'm not feeling the most confident or when right. I'm not feeling you know, up to it. It's like, he's my, he's my unofficial or unmet mentor. You know? <laughs> right, right. That's a hell of a mentor. Is. Yeah. We, we got his book yeah. right here, extreme ownership, uh, yeah. which, which has made a huge impact yeah. on both of us and, yeah. and so many people. And we know that your second book's going to do the same. Darren, can I, can I ask you something before we jump off? Come um, on. What's the, was professional football, first of all, was it fun? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, I feel like, I do not envy professional football players. And here, here's why, because I feel like the, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying to know to me, the thought of it, that every single game, not only is it your reputation on the line, but if you one single slip of the, of, of anything, as far as injuries and your career could take a drastic turn. And so I just feel like that, like that is something. And this is what I want to add. Like all people that have like reached the pinnacles, like you've reached, like, people always want to look at you and they, and they do it to Joe Rogan too, as they want to look at people that have made those pinnacles and they just want to say money mm-hmm. because you, because you've made that money, nothing else matters because Joe Rogan made a hundred million on that deal. The media could bash him and he shouldn't care at all because you made professional football. You know, you shouldn't care about anything else. Sure. You've already made it. So like, what was that like for you reaching that, that high of that point? And like, what would you tell somebody on the backside of what that's like. So yeah. like Cause it, you know, not the glory and the, the money, but the real, life I love this. This is the first guest yeah, that, that's, that's flipped flip it the on script. me. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I would say, <laughs> man, you know, for me, like you, you, I, I forget. First of all, let me, let me say this. You, you said you get nervous. <laughs> This you is a man that's said, taken bullets. Yes, this is and a been man. In riots. Yes, it's been in riots. <laughs> it's been in Afghanistan. And, and he says football's scary. <laughs> no, look, I mean, I'm gonna put things in perspective. We played a game. We played a game. It was a I, I, honestly, man. It was like when I was seven, eight years of my son's age. I always wanted to play the game, and it was. It was just that. It was a game. Now, everyone made it big, ESPN, all the networks, they made it big and they blow it up and they put us on these pedestals. Dude, we played a game. You didn't play a game. That was not a game. It was life. And your life depended on it. 
your partner's life depended on it. Our lives depended Our on it. Our lives as, as, as Americans depended on it. Man, that's a totally different. That's not a game. That's life. And I have the ultimate respect. And, I, and you would talk to any NFL player or, or basketball player, a pro athlete, and they'll tell you the same thing. That is a different perspective. We're just playing a game, and, that's, and that, I'll set that there. I would say this. As far as the game itself, I don't remember a lot of plays. Like the big plays, I every once in a while you remind, I remember certain things. But what I remember the most is the locker room. Mm-hmm. Like there, is, there was something about the locker room and the relationships that I built, the same relationships that I had when I came in the league at 21, 22 I have those same relationships and we talk so much shit to each other Mm -hmm. and the lies get bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. (laughs) But that's what I remember, man. I remember more jokes than I remember plays. Really? The jokes that went on in the locker room. Yeah. The pressure, the pressure, it it wasn't like this overwhelming immense pressure. You could actually just go out and enjoy and play. Yeah. Because I just loved, I just loved it, man. Was there pressure? Yeah. It was pressure to keep your job. There was pressure you know, yeah, no uh, big deal, right? Yeah, but <laughs> like, but 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 it's the same pressure that you know we we're both. I'm a business owner. I have to own two two uh, two businesses. There's the same pressure there. Like I I have 52 people that I got to make sure that they're fed and their families are fed and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it's the same. And everybody that's in the corporate America has the same type of pressures. It's just blown up as far mm-hmm. as being an athlete. So it's the same thing, man. I mean, we work, we do what we love. A lot of the guys do what what we love to do. I didn't feel that pressure. I didn't feel like, oh my God. You know what pressure was to me? Pressure was mm-hmm. my mom, my mom, single mom, four kids, flipping coins on on a Friday to see what bill she was going to pay. Mm-hmm. That was pressure. What I did was a game, and I'm gonna always say that. It was a game. I mm-hmm. love to play it, man. I didn't feel the pressure. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yep. Man, I appreciate well, you, you, brother. You've been great, man. We're gonna yes. hey, this relationship is gonna continue, man. Because yeah, we got to. You're close, man. You, yeah. Or, or, next time you're in Dallas, hit us up, man. We we would love to get together in person next time. So uh, at least, if not before that, at least when I do the um, the second book tour, because I'll be in Dallas for. I'm hoping Mike Ritland will have me back on. Yeah. Um, he's a military guy, so he's right by you. A uh, hundred skills right by. You, so perfect. That's yeah. three. Man, we Dallas got numbers, brother. Stop. Yeah, let's. We're, we're yes. gonna connect. Let's yes. connect. Perfect. Man. I love it. All right. That was great talking to you guys. You oh, too, John. Thanks, bro. I'm getting that IPA, too. I'm about to get one now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheers, boys. Thanks, Cheers, brother. Man. Appreciate you. I'll right, catch you later. Yes, sir.